Today on the Midweek Move, we are diving deep into James chapter one, and we're asking ourselves, who is he writing to, and what is the situation that's taking place here? Let's talk about that today. podcast where we examine the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves, what is happening here? And we do this to make sure we can make proper proper biblical application to our lives. And I'm excited because today, ladies and gentlemen, we're diving deep into one of my favorite books because it is so practical, and that is the book of James. And along with me today on the journey is uh, my friend, my pastor, my mentor, Scott Etheridge. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Dallas. I, I'm like you. I can't wait to dig into James. It is practical. <laughs> It's uh, it's intense at times, very, <laughs> very intense. intense. <laughs> Depends on the reader, of right. course. For some readers, they're like, "Yes, I've been waiting for this." For others, it's like, "Oh wow, that's that's a little <laughs> that's a little close to home, man." But yes, you're right. Very very practical, but very um, um, very intense and very you know uh, when we went through Acts, mm-hmm. twenty eight chapters. Yeah, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, but. James, even in just, you know, five chapters, there is a lot here. Oh, yeah. There is a lot here. If you were to do a study on it and just a teaching on it, you could do it for a couple of years just in five chapters. Absolutely. 100%. And we're going to be, uh, because of that, we're going to be breaking this down just a little bit. When we talked about it last week when we talked about the intro to James, which if you haven't checked it out, really want to encourage you guys to do that. Yep. We're, we're going to break this up to where we're actually doing one chapter over a couple of weeks because we don't want to... Uh, just rush through the chapter. We really want to dive in and pull every bit that we can out of this. And uh, hey, if this is challenging you, if it's encouraging you, let us know. Let us know how these things are, are speaking t- uh, to you. Reach out to us, mediahub at thbstreetport.com or our Facebook page. Just look for Midweek Move and uh, let us know what is happening in your life through these uh, scriptures. So, Pastor, you ready to dive in? I'm ready. Let's All do right. It. James chapter 1, verse. One, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, Dallas, last week you really took us through kind of what, uh, who James was um, historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of went through some of the weeds um, right. of, of who people <laughs> say that James is or was. Right. Um, uh, and then also you kind of delved in a little bit about the 12 tribes and, and what scattered meant. But just as a quick review, just right off the bat, James, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ and to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Yeah. So that's, uh, again, we talked about last week, this is more likely James, the brother of Jesus, the half brother of Jesus. And I talked about last week and it's one of those things, it's really, it's something that I've really been thinking about since I, since I've studied it out. This is James, somebody who denied Jesus on a regular basis growing up. Like, this is his brother. He's like, okay, yeah, so you're the Messiah. Sure, Jesus. Like, I picture this conversation between siblings. And then he has this revelation. That was my brother on the cross, resurrected. And he has this revelation that he's going to, that Jesus, everything Jesus said was real. And now we see him going, calling himself a bondservant, which could also be translated as a slave, of God and Lord Jesus Christ, which is interesting to me because he's calling Jesus not just the Messiah, 
but Lord. He's submitting that he may make himself humble to Jesus, his brother, who he spent a lifetime denying. But now he has a true revelation of who Jesus really is. Yep. And so, of course, he's writing to the 12 tribes who we know to be uh, the Jewish um, believers are scattered out. And these are probably the people that he was pastoring himself up until the point that uh, Stephen was martyred. And then for safety's sake, they scattered across the land. And so that's what we have happening here. And this is first uh, opening. Really, it's kind of like if um, we had a major event happening in Shreveport and a lot of people at THP scattered and you're going, hey, let me reach out to you guys and keep in touch to help make sure everyone's okay. Yeah, I, I kind of take it even as um, we come together and we gather together and we're all together and then all of a sudden, boom, we're 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 not together, right? And we're all the way over to Webster Parish, right? We're all the way over to uh, Longview, Texas. We're all the way down past Carmel, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. We are um, all the way up, almost to the Arkansas border. Mm-hmm. Now, how do I talk to everybody? Well, sometimes it's Facebook, mm-hmm. sometimes it's Messenger, sometimes it's an email, sometimes it's a phone call, right? But to everybody, it's normally a platform. Mm-hmm. So he's using a platform of writing, right, to get this out to those that are scattered abroad. I think we forget that sometimes. We forget. Because we're reading it, it's very personal. We're looking at it right here. We forget right. the process that it took to even get this to these people. Right. And so he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Yeah. So in these two verses, contrary to the teaching of some, James is making it real clear that the life of the believer is a life that it's going to face trials. Yep. We're going to face, and it says various trials. Like there's, the suggestion is that it could be external trials, which are persecution, or even internal ones, temptations and sins. And so my question for you, Pastor, is what does James mean by count it all joy when we meet trials? Because that doesn't sound like something that I'm just like, oh, joy, I'm going to have hard times right now. Yay. I think he gives the answer in verse 3. Okay. Again, the thing I love about the contextualization of this and when we're doing the midweek move in Mm -hmm. in context is the fact that we can read one verse and we can kind of get a... um, uh, a blurry view of it. Mm-hmm. But if we keep reading, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Right. So when he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, verse three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Mm. Well, how can I count it all joy when I'm in these trials? Because the testing of my faith produces patience. Mm-hmm. We all need patience. All, all you have to do is drive through Shreveport. Right. All you got to do is leave my house and come to the church because there's about 28 or 30 lights. So it's like there's not one pathway from my house, which is right in town, right to the church. There are some people who live like on the Texas side and they can get to church quicker than I can from my house right? because it's almost all freeway for them. And, and so... All you got to do is is take a drive and then you see your your own patience or lack of patience tapping on the steering wheel. <laughs> you're talking to the person that can't even hear you. You know, you're 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 doing all the semantics. But what he's talking about here is that you don't just you're not just joyful because you're going through trials. Right. You know, it's it's like the the verse where it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Some people think that, well, 
man, how can I give thanks for everything? That's not what the scripture says. Right. It says in everything, as you're going through everything, right. give thanks, not for what you're going through, but give thanks mm-hmm. to the Lord yeah. for bringing you through it Right. because that's the will of God. Right. And so when James says, count it all joy, he's not saying that you're going to be joyful because you're going through things. You can have joy, which is not based on circumstances. Mm. Joy is based on a person. That is Jesus. Right. Jesus is our joy. He is our peace. He is our love. He everything that we need in the characteristics of God are are found in Jesus. Yeah. So joy is not a thing. Joy is a person. Mm. So when it says count it all joy when you fall into various trials, well, well, why would I do that? Because I know that if I go through trials, and and Jesus is my focus. Right. He is my joy that that faith and that testing of my faith is going to produce patience. Mm. And I know that patience is a fruit, not of Scott, mm. but of the Holy Spirit. Right. I know that God is moving through me when there's patience. Right. Why? Because Scott is not patient in himself. Right. Not just me, but all of us in our own flesh are not wired to be patient. Right. We all want what we want when we want it. Right. But when patience flows through us, that's the fruit of it's not us. It's right. the fruit of the Spirit, mm-hmm. which comes from the Lord. And again, joy is not based on, hey, I'm having a good day today. I'm having a bad day today. You can have joy when you have a bad day. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're going to be laughing all day long. Right. You know, when we get that word joy, we kind of <laughs> think, um, we kind of think well, laughter. You know, but that's not that's not really the context of joy. The context of joy is inside. Right. What's going on inside, right. no matter what's happening outside. Absolutely, and it is one of those things. Like it's it's that long distance thing. Of, I'm going through some right now, but I know it's on the back end of things. Yep. Um, I'll never forget years ago. You were, you were preaching a message, and you were talking about raising the girls, and you know there was no joy in, in changing a diaper and having hard conversations with your daughters and having to walk them through stuff. But there's joy, but you did it because you knew the joy that would come later, partially in the name of a kid named Jace. But yes. <laughs> but seeing your girls operate in what God's called them to do, you walk through those things, having joy, knowing what would be on the back end of the things. And I think that's the thing that a lot of Christians don't. They're we're so focused on the here and now, we forget that there's a tomorrow and a day after. And if we're focused here today on what the Lord has for us, He's going to make things work out to His glory on the back end of things. Well, I see this quote. Um, part of this verse also talks about lacking nothing, suggesting that believers, all believers, have some personal growth that they can walk through. How do we as a community help each other in that growth process? We see them going through trials, and we're telling them, hey, have joy. But how do we help them grow through these process? You know, when I was reading this, and, and it says perfect work, mm-hmm. and then it says perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But mm-hmm. this, is not, this is not a passage that means... Once we meet Jesus and we're all in eternal glory, this mm-hmm. is a ongoing thing. Right. And he says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It took me back to the Hebrew, mm. and that is shalom. Yeah. Shalom means peace. It means lacking nothing, nothing missing, mm. wholeness. It doesn't mean you're perfect, mm-hmm. but it means your faith is. It right. means that, again, he said testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. Let it work itself out. Right. Continue to be faithful. Continue to be obedient. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Again, shalom peace is not something, it's someone. Right. In Jesus, we have peace. We can be complete. We can lack nothing. Right. Doesn't mean that I don't need money. 
<laughs> or I don't need a place to live, right? or I don't need certain things. It simply means inside, in my spirit, mm-hmm. I lack nothing because in Jesus I have completeness, I have wholeness. Right. My identity is rooted in him. Mm. My relationship is rooted in him. My purpose is re- rooted in him. So everything that I need as a person on this earth I have in Jesus. Right. That there makes me whole, right. lacking nothing. All right. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. Are we going verse five? I think so. Okay. If any of you lacks wisdom, wow, I, I got both my hands up right now and my toes, <laughs> feet, everything. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right. So this verse, the set of verses here, it almost seems like it's making a kind of a separate conversation, but it really is a continuation of this conversation of going through trials and you're lacking stuff. And part of having with the Lord is having wisdom. Uh, we know that from Proverbs that wisdom, true biblical wisdom, is essential to the life of the believer. In wisdom, we can correctly divine what is godly, what's not godly, and all that kind of things. But I feel like as 2022 English-speaking individuals, we see the word wisdom. We often equate it with the term smart. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between being smart and having wisdom? There's no direct link between intelligence and morality. Mm. Just because you're smart doesn't mean you're moral. Right. But godly wisdom has a morality attached to it. That's so good. And so when you talk about someone being smart, that doesn't mean they're not a fool. Right. They can be super intelligent and be a fool. Right. In their discernment, having none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because discernment is a spiritual thing. It's not a just a feeling. It is a knowing. Mm. It is discerning between good and evil. Right. So when the Word of God talks about if you lack wisdom, it's not talking about smarts or intelligence. Right. It's talking about a level of discernment where you can have an understanding so that you can make not just a good choice but a godly choice. Yeah. And therein lies the difference between wisdom and intelligence. Okay. Again, intelligence, there is no bridge to morality. Right. You can be smart and evil. <laughs> it's true. But you can't be godly. Um, um, godly. Um, you 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 can't have godly wisdom, mm-hmm. discernment, and understanding and be evil. Yeah. Those counteract one another. Absolutely. They're polar opposites. Right. They don't go together. That makes sense. So we know that the, then we're, we're asking for something that makes helps us be moral, um, that we can divine things appropriately. But it says to ask in faith. What does that mean? How do we ask in faith? Well, I, in my estimation, according to the Word of God, mm-hmm. asking in faith is the belief that the Lord will answer, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe not necessarily the way that we suppose it might happen. Mm -hmm. Thereby there's faith. We, we, we ask in faith, believing the Lord hears us, he will answer us. Right. Although we may not know what it looks like, although we may not get exactly what we wanted, Mm -hmm. he's going to answer what we've asked. Right. And I, I believe the faith aspect of it is um, asking, yes, you expect to receive, 
but don't preconceive what you're going to receive. Mm. Whoa, that was good. Yeah, it was. That might be a sermon. <laughs> don't, don't preconceive, preconceive what you're going to receive. I'm going to type that out my thing. I'm type that in my personal notes right now. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's yeah. like um, I, I think the way that um, we have structured this conversation of the last few months is don't pray with a preconceived notion of how you want it to be because normally that always works in your favor. Right. Or your comfort level. Yeah, yeah. So when we pray for something like healing in our body, mm -hmm. the first go-to is take me away from all this pain, mm -hmm. get me away from all this. I don't want any treatment. I don't want this. I want to be, quote-unquote, delivered. Right. What if it's the will of the Lord to take you through a process to heal you so that you will be whole mm. rather than just a temporary fix to get you by? Therein, we're praying for comfort. The Lord is praying for healing. Mm. Healing is not always comfort. Right. Because in order to heal, there has to be a process of pain to get you to healing. Yeah, yeah. Always. If if there's a root of infection in your life, there's going to be pain for you to get healed. Yeah. Because they have to get to the root of that infection. Right. And that's going to require many times a surgery that's going to be very, even in today's world, archaic mm -hmm. to be able to get to the to the root of the issue. Yet I'm praying, man, healing, comfort, joy beauty, all this great stuff, but yet there's pain in the midst of that to get to that healing. Yeah. So I think when it says ask in faith, that's putting no restrictions on the Lord himself. Sometimes we restrict our own answers mm. in our prayers because we ask amiss, which the same guy's <laughs> going to talk about, Right, right. which is that we're not asking according to the will of God. We're asking according to our own will, right. the way we want it to work out. So it talks about like also like not being double-minded and, mm. but how is that different from like the man in Mark nine who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, um, when you begin to talk about things like, okay, uh, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe in you. There are people who believe in Jesus, right? But they can't make the jump to believe for a miracle. Mm. They can't make the jump to believe for a healing. Mm-hmm. They believe in Jesus. Right. Man, he's Lord, like he's Savior. But when it comes to to actually stepping out, mm -hmm. again, we can use Peter. Peter is a great example. Yeah. He believes the Lord to walk on water, yet he looks around and all of a sudden he sinks. Mm -hmm. But yet he can't believe the Lord to redeem him mm -hmm. when he denies him. Right. Until Jesus comes to him as a resurrected Jesus. Right. And so... Um, and he dealt with that with the disciples an awful lot, mm -hmm. which is uh, teaching them about um, uh, um, not just uh, belief, but a supernatural faith. Mm. Not just a belief in something, but a supernatural faith right. that goes beyond just a belief system. It goes beyond a natural belief in something. Mm -hmm. There are people every day we pass every day, they have beliefs in things. Yeah. But it doesn't move to the place of the supernatural. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, that would be my estimation of, of that scenario that you gave. I believe, but help my own belief. Right. I get that. I get that. So we have this conversation of belief, and, and but having like not being double-minded about everything. And uh, James continues on in verse 9 with, um, it looks like a, a diversion, but we're still talking about this whole situation of 
this early church here. Yeah, again, context is is huge. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers falls, uh, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Right. So on the surface, it sounds like it's just like attacking like rich people, <laughs> mm. but it's not. Um, in the first verse, he goes, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. His exaltation really is the his new found identity in Christ. You know, he's going through persecution because he's now been identified with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And goes, but the rich man in his humiliation. There's nothing that says that the rich man is not a brother. There's nothing that in the text that says that he's talking about. This is talking about those who are in Christ, who are rich and poor. But in their humiliation, when they go through this tribulation, when they go through these trials, they're being attacked. Mm -hmm. And then they're being humbled. They're understanding this wealth is nothing, but I have Christ. They're understanding that as they lose some of the stuff that maybe the the comfort, the status that they've had before they were in Christ, that they didn't really matter. Well, and again, it it also goes back to the testing of your faith. The mm -hmm. testing of your faith is purified by fire. Right. Right here. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat. Mm. Now the rich, they put their they put their all their trust in riches, mm -hmm. in the things, in possessions. Right. But then the heat comes, mm -hmm. it's testing their faith, and what does it say? Then it withers like the grass, its flowers fall, and its beautiful appearance perishes. None of it matters. Right. None of your riches matter. Mm -hmm. When the heat comes, it's all burnt up. Right. And what's going to be left? Well, again, he covered it in the verses prior to that. Mm -hmm. The testing of your faith produces patience. Right. You know, when Jesus is the center of everything. You may be smart and rich, right? But you need wisdom and discernment, absolutely. Because the fire is coming. When the fire comes, your smarts and your riches are going to be burned away, right? And if you don't have faith, if you don't have patience, there's nothing left. And so it it's not a different conversation, right? Because again, it even speaks to verse eight, where he talks about a double-minded man. Mm. Hey, I love Jesus, but I love my riches. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? You are. You're double-minded. Exactly. And you're unstable in all your ways because you can't serve God and mammon. That's right. the gospel. That's words in red. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. So good. And this is a great example of how we can read in chunks and somehow we think the conversation has changed right. or the audience has changed. None of that's changed. Right. You pointed out he's not he's not writing to a bunch of unbelievers. Right. He's writing to believers, Jewish believers. Mm -hmm. And so when he says that, hey, there are some of you that are doing really, really well, mm -hmm. but you're beginning to get your eyes on those things. Right. And those things are going to perish. They're going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Man, so good. All right. Uh, Pastor, you want to start up us up in verse 12? Yeah. And again, he's he's this whole thing is wrapped up. This whole first chapter really is wrapped up in trials. Yeah. When you're going through stuff, mm -hmm. what are you going to trust in? What's going to be left? How are you going to behave? How are you going to react? How are you going to respond in trials? That mm. James is like laying it all out <laughs> right off the bat. Absolutely. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Again, here comes trials again. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires 
and enticed. Mm. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Mm. Wow. So good. There's a, I mean, there's so much depth here. Um, <laughs> the, then the verse 12 here blesses the man who endures temptation. This just reinforces the fact that if we lean into Jesus, if we trust in him, if we are um, go through these things with him, there's blessing that takes place in our lives. We'll get the ultimate reward, the crown of, of life. Um, the, but then he gets into this conversation 13 through 15 about being tempted by God. Um, some have suggested that if God was good, then why would he tempt Adam and Eve with uh, you know, the fruit of the tree? How do these verses play into our understanding of that first sin in our own personal sin? Well, in my estimation, that wasn't a temptation from the Lord. It was a warning. Mm. And there's a difference between those two things. Right. Um, God showed them. And again, our minds tend to, if there are 100 things and 99 of them are awesome right. and one of them is not, right. we focus on the one. Absolutely. It's almost like, um, what was that little alien dude in the Bugs Bunny? Uh, Marvin. Marvin. All right. So Marvin the Martian, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he gets stuck in his rocket ship, <laughs> and it's like you got all this amazing stuff, but there's one red button. Don't touch the button. Right. And all of a sudden he's sitting there and he's sweating. You know, he's sweating <laughs> profusely. Right. There's no pressure. Yeah. He's going where he needs to go. There's nothing, but he keeps looking at the red button. Right. And then he goes over to the red button, and then he gets close to the red button, and then his eyes are this big, and he's sweating, and he's pouring sweat all over the red button. Yeah, yeah. And his hand inches closer and closer and closer. That button wasn't put there to tempt you. Mm. That button was actually put there to warn you mm-hmm. and to give you a way out, mm. if need be. Right. So in the garden... God shows them all of this amazing stuff that is theirs. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Yeah. And then he says, listen, there's only there's only one thing here that you need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Everything is perfect, but there's only one thing you need to be aware of. Do not take of this tree. Right. Do not. Now, some would say, well, God should have went through the whole thing. No. <laughs> They were, it wasn't like we are now. It was perfect. Right. He didn't have to explain himself. Right. He had created them in his own image. He had created everything for them. Mm-hmm. There's no explanation necessary. Right. Um, we live in a generation that doesn't want to just do what's been spoken. Mm. Like we have to deconstruct it and then we have to get all the way around it when the whole time the instruction was to protect you in the first place. Exactly. And so. God did not put that in the garden to tempt them. Right. He simply had it there as a as a warning and to say, "Hey, all of this is yours." Right. And as we know, they partake of it and because the enemy tempted them. Right. And they gave in to the enemy. So it wasn't necessarily the enemy's fault either. Right. They gave in to the temptation, which is what James is talking about. He's like, look, God's not tempting you. Yeah. And you and I hear the argument all the time about, you know, why would God, you know, if God is so good, why is there evil? And if God is so good, then why does this happen? If God is almost describing everything bad to God mm-hmm. rather than realizing it's the fallen nature of humanity that's evil and bad. Exactly. 
not the Lord. Right. He's given us the opportunity to choose how we're going to do it. When you look at verse 15, then desire uh, has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it, it's fully grown. That's our desires. Yep. And what what's the, what's the desires? You feed a desire. You, you nurture a desire, and it becomes what it becomes. Yeah, thoughts, imaginations, strongholds. Right. You have a thought. Well, you have the opportunity in Christ to get rid of that thought. Right. Take it captive under the subjection of Christ. Mm-hmm. Or you can meditate on it, mm-hmm. and it becomes what the Bible calls a vain imagination. Right now, you're thinking about it. Now you're dreaming about it. Now you're now you're beginning to formulate ideas around that thought, mm-hmm. and then it gets into your heart. When it gets into your heart, it creates a stronghold. When it's a stronghold, it's coming out of your life in some form or fashion. Absolutely, you cannot hide sin. Right, it will reveal itself. It will give birth in your life through your desire or your thought becoming an imagination, becoming a stronghold. Right. So he's he's warning the early church. He's already, like because obviously these people have, they're going through some stuff and they're they're starting to have these desires and they're starting to question, well, God, why is this happening to us? Well, maybe it's on you. Yeah. Maybe not. Can. Maybe it is on you. <laughs> he's like, I didn't have anything to do with this, man. Exactly. This is on you. And then he says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Mm. So it's not like he's just coming down hard on them and just ripping into them. He's like, listen, do not be deceived. This is very real. Mm-hmm. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Mm. What a beautiful promise. Absolutely. What an amazing, encouraging word to these people that you are the first fruits of the Lord. Right. Um, interesting thing when I was reading through this kind of sentence out, the first portion, uh, do not be deceived. The way the Greek reads out, it, it's actually more of like a stop thinking this way. These people who love the Lord have begun begun to think God is tempting me with evil things. He's not. He's not. You're walking through this, but what is He doing? He's given you every good and perfect gift. He's the Father of Lights, and He's He's given you all these things. With whom there is no variation. He doesn't change. Right. Like God is not changing. <laughs> Life changes. You change. Right. But God doesn't change. He's exactly. the same. He's still the good father. He's still the provider. He's still just. He's still holy. And I love this impartation to them. Of his own will, Mm. he brought us forth. Mm. It was God's will that you were born. Yeah. Like, how encouraging. Like, especially if you're struggling and going through trials, which they were because that's what James is dealing with. Right. Is that, listen... God brought you forth. It was his will to bring you forth right. by the word of truth, not deception, not temptation. Well, why? That we might be a kind of first fruits, plural, mm. of his creatures. Right. Like God chose us first. Man. <laughs> so, yes, he was not heavy-handed. He was just simply going, listen, this is what the enemy has been telling you. Right. This is what the enemy has been putting before you. But here's what God says about you. Right. And I love that about this, this 18 verses is that people could read it and go, man, this is heavy handed, but it really isn't at all. He's just simply going, this is the enemy. This is you. And this is the Lord. Right. And you got to know what is the enemy? What is me? What is God? Right. Well, what do we call that? 
wisdom, mm. godly <laughs> wisdom, discernment, not intelligence. Right. It go it goes so perfectly all together. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to bring this to an end here, and um, here in a second, Pastor's going to give us kind of. I want you to give us just kind of our final thoughts, big takeaway. But I want to remind you guys, come back next week uh, because we're going to be continuing this conversation, and James is actually going to pull out how we should be receiving this word, how we should be receiving what God has for us. So, Pastor, what is your big takeaway? I, I think my big takeaway. I probably would have said something a little different when we started this. Um, but I think that my big takeaway is expectation versus reality. Mm -hmm. That James was saying, listen, this is reality, but you have to have an expectation mm -hmm. because God is good. Right. God is good. The enemy's bad. Enemy bad, God good. Right? <laughs> Let's break it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Enemy bad, God good. But I, I, I do think that that whole expectation versus reality, mm -hmm. that... In reality, things are put in front of us every day, mm -hmm. and not all of them are from the Lord. Yeah, the expectation is that even when we go through those things, God is with us. Right? Why is that an expectation? Because it's hope, because it's faith, mm. because we believe in Him, and it is truth. Right? Right? Absolutely. A realistic expectation. Right. That God is going to do what He said. I'm going to kind of echo that, almost in the reverse of the fact that it is. Some people, they have forgotten the reality of the goodness of God, mm, of yeah, what they can expect good. in Him. And they have this expectation of, well, I should be okay. God should just bless me. God should just, no, God's blessed you. Yep. Now it's you put the work into it, which we're going to talk about here in a couple of weeks also, of walking this out. The reality is God has not changed. Right. He is the Father of lights. He's passed down all these things to you. Now it's your turn. Pick up the ball and run with it remembering who he is yep all right so james chapter one verses one through 18 is in the is uh is down we want to hear from you guys how's it encouraged you has it challenged you reach out to us media hub at thpshreveport.com or you can uh we encourage you guys also find our website thpshreveport.com uh where you can connect with us here at the healing place if you're in the shreveport area please come worship with us 10 o'clock every sunday morning 8957 kingston road why? Because we love you, care about you. The plan and the purpose of, of the healing place, what God's given us is to help people be who God created them to be, know what he's saying, and do what he's called them to do. And we want to help you take your next step in that. Yep. So, until next time, have a great week. <laughs>